Uh, it's a joy to be able to get to speak today. We're going to take a few moments, and we're just going to kind of take a break in Romans. And so if you don't mind, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to be there for uh, today. We've been going extremely deep. Uh, we've been like jumping off in the deep end the last several months, which has been so good. I mean, each week... Um, Back at the uh, Next Steps area, uh, you, you come back. We have different folks coming back every week saying, man, this is rich. I am learning. I am, there are things that I'm seeing, what God is doing in my life, what it is that he is showing me, uh, the way that he's pushing me. And that, that is incredible to hear. I'm loving that. One of the things, though, that I know happens sometimes in my own life, I don't know about yours, but in my own life is, is that I forget many times what it is that God has done for me, what it is that he has done, how it is that he has saved me, how it is that he has changed me. As we're studying through the book of Romans, one of the things that we're beginning to see and we're learning is this, is that we didn't do anything for our salvation. There was nothing we could do. Uh, God gave it to us. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't work my way into it. He freely gave his son and then opened my eyes and called me to respond. And as I responded, he flooded in and my life was changed. Now, this truth is real. This is a truth. All right? It is a fact. It's not just a feeling. It is a fact. And what ends up happening many times is this, or this is what I've seen happen in many people and experienced it myself, is that many times I end up, when I start looking and diving into the Scriptures deeply and richly, uh, I, I, I sometimes tend to go inward because I begin to go, this is what God's done for me. This is what God's doing in my life. This is how God has begun to change me. These are the things that I begin to see. And what ends up happening is I end up going inward. Me, 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 me. Now, I want to make sure and help. One of the things I want us to do today is I want us to bring our eyes up and, and think for a moment. Because uh, the Christian walk is, is a both and. It's not an either or. The, when we follow Christ, it's not just about, hey, I want to go deep in Scripture. It's not just information. It can't just be information. The whole of the walk of Christ and why he came and died and why he saved us, and why he changed us, was so that we would have the information which leads to transformation. Lives that are transformed by the power of the gospel. That when we're, we're diving deep, we're seeing, we're hearing, we're understanding now what it is that we did and didn't do to receive salvation. We have now been informed and in what it is that he's calling us. And the reason that he saved us was so that our lives would be transformed as we walk in the lives of those who are far from him. In my own life sometimes, maybe you would find this too if you're a follower of Christ. You end up kind of getting over. You kind of get over the reality and the feeling and the understanding that, man, God loved me deeply and I was very close to the wrath of God. And had it not been for Christ opening my eyes and pouring salvation in, there I would be. Listen, he saved us transformed us, changed us to send us out so that we can tell others, so that we can 
let others know about the great God that we serve, about the loving, compassionate Jesus who poured his life for us. And if we are a body, we talk about being Christ-centered here at LifePoint. One of what we try to do is we want to point you to a Christ-centered life, to a Christ-centered life. And if we truly are on a journey to being a Christ-centered person, then we have to intentionally be investing in the lives of those who are far from us. God's given each of us a sphere of influence. And what is that sphere of influence? Uh, If you're a student in here, it's your second, third, fourth period class. If you are a worker, you have a job, it's the people that you're working with. If you have a family, it's the people that he's placed you in family with. It is the people that you are in neighborhood with. Listen, he has designed and placed you in the places that you are specifically for you to be able to reach the people around you, to influence them. Uh, I've not been designed to reach your neighbors. You've been designed and placed there to reach your neighbors, just like I've been designed and placed to reach mine. But many times what ends up happening is, is I start going deep and deep and deep and, and I start getting in and in and in and I have to raise my head up and go, okay, God, you have given, I have this information and you, choose, you are desiring to transform my life so that others might know also. So today we're going to take a little break in Romans and we're going to look at the, book, the chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at a couple of parables, a couple of stories. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost something that was really important to you? It didn't have to be necessarily of high value. It was just important to your daily life. and what it, maybe, maybe, guys, you, you used to have a pen before we went all with our thumbs. You used to have a pen that you wrote with. And it didn't matter that you had 20 other pens that you could choose. The pen that I like is gone. And so you can't do anything until you find that pen. Maybe it's uh, uh, your house keys. You ever lost your keys and how you're going, man, I can't, I can't function. I've got to find those keys. Uh, ladies, maybe it's your cell phone. I don't know. Maybe kind of speaking a little close to my home. You know, there's five cell phones in our, in our house, and we can all have our cell phones except my wife. And we can't do anything until she finds her cell phone. She's not in this service, by the way. And I would appreciate that it didn't leave this service. All right. Listen, uh, Andy Stanley talks about a principle that when something is lost, when something is lost, it becomes the object of our attention, not those things that are found. And today, I want us to look at some stories, some parables. Parables are stories that Jesus told that had a very earthly context, but they had a spiritual meaning to them. And so in Luke chapter 15, I want you to turn over and we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Before we read, though, I want to say this to you. Little confession time here. Hope you don't think less of me. There have been days and times and points in my life where evangelism completely scares me. And when I talk about evangelism, what I mean by that is, is the intentional sharing about Jesus Christ and how he has changed me. Just a confession. Maybe it was the way that I saw evangelism modeled before me. I I had a a mentor who had a very, very strong personality, huge influence in my life. And the way that he did things, really just about everything, was very direct and very confrontational. 
And when we would be meeting with someone out of left field, it's like a, a right hook that came across. We started talking about Jesus to someone that we didn't even have a relationship with. And it, it, it just scared me. I was afraid to end that I'm going to offend someone. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe uh, one of the things that I've come to understand later in my life is that God, again, talking about that influence, that is, a form, that is evangelism. When we walk in the lives of people and we begin to invest in the one, the one. Our bottom line today is it's about the one. Do you realize that God has placed you in community, in relationship with someone, the one that he is calling you? There are probably several ones. And Jesus begins to illustrate this to the people he's talking to in Luke 15. Let's start reading in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he has found it? Verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Leave that up there right quick. There will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus begins to tell this story to those that are gathered. Uh, at the end of chapter 14, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow it daily. He closes out chapter 14 by talking about how disciples are like salt. And he says, when the salt is no longer salty, it's not worthy of anything. And then he moves directly into this parable, this string of parables. And, the, and verse 1 says that there were tax collectors and sinners who were following. They wanted to be near him. And it says there's a, the tax collectors and the sinners, the ones who they knew they needed something. There was something missing. There was a second group of people, a religious group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious ones. They were the religious leaders. And the scripture says that the religious leaders began to grumble. They began to say, he's eating, he's eating and sharing meals with those who are sinners. Can you believe this? You see, they thought that eating with sinners was below the, the, what a prophet ought to be doing. Jesus had already said to these folks at one time or another, he had already said, listen, I didn't come for those who were healthy. I came for the sick. I came for those who were in need. He was right where he needed to be. And those who were religious couldn't see that. They couldn't see past their own religiosity because they were too worried about study and about pouring in and about building walls and keeping people out. And so Jesus said, listen, I want to tell you a story. And he starts in with a story and he says, what man of you has a hundred sheep? So he's automatically, he starts to talk about a shepherd. Well, this is not a good group of people to be talking to the religious people about because the Jewish people thought the shepherds were the lowest of the low. 
Uh, they were, they were uh, a rough bunch. Uh, there are probably, from what we know in history, they were uh, always around animals and unclean people. Uh, they had language to go along with that that was unclean. Uh, their testimony couldn't even stand in a court of law because they were, they were viewed as a person who was untrustworthy. So he starts out by, by telling the, the religious elite, listen, I got a story for you about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. One of them went missing. And he says that he left the other 99 in the open country because it was about the one that was lost. He said he went to go and find the one. He said when he found the one that was lost, he put that sheep on his shoulders he returned to the 99. He went home, the scripture says. And when he got home, he began to call all the people together. You see, listen, it is about the one that was lost. Jesus said, in fact, look at verse 7 here. Uh, Luke 15, verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Repents means turns away. I'm going this direction with this lifestyle. I'm going to repent and turn and go in this direction with a different lifestyle. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. He says, listen, these 99, they've already repented. They're righteous people. They don't need it. But there is one. It's about the one. He says, there is one. And he says, he's illustrating to them the, the fact of these sinners and tax collectors. They're in your midst and you're not saying anything to them. Uh, just like Jesus, I mean, he, he jumps right into the next parable. Look at the next parable. Starting at uh, verse 8 there, I believe it is. In verse 8, he says, or what woman? There he goes again. You see, just like the shepherds were considered uh, outcast in this day, a woman was a second-class citizen, property, and he makes her the focal point of the story. He says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. You could almost copy, click, drag, and paste. It says the exact same thing just about here. Just so, I tell you, Jesus is driving home emphasis here. Just so, scribes and Pharisees, I want you to know there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This, this story is about a poor financially poor lady, all right? Now, a financially poor person in a story to the Pharisees would not have been a good situation, let alone a woman who was financially poor. This woman, probably most commentators say, this was her dowry. This was probably her dowry that she would have taken into the marriage, all that she had. And it wasn't enough that she still had nine. She said, I have 10 silver, she has 10 silver coins. Uh, one's gone, it wasn't enough that she still had the nine because, you see, it was about the one that was lost. The, the Scripture says that she turned on the light. Listen, 
follower of Jesus. You are the light of the world. And your light needs to be turned on in dark places so that things that are lost can be found. But if you keep your light only with other light, at some point, a huge burst of light is like blinding and you're just going, ah, I, can't, I can't handle all that. Listen, you were made, you were created so that your light would be placed in dark places. So he turned on the light, began to sweep until she found the one that was lost. You see, it's about the one, not the other nine, not about the other 99, but the one, the one. And just like uh, the previous story, there is an epic party that happens. She calls all of her friends together. And Jesus says in the parable that, uh, that when she threw the party, he says, listen, Jesus draws the parallel back to those who are far from him. He says, listen, scribes, Pharisees, there is more joy in heaven. The angels celebrate. There is a party that goes on when one person repents. Rather than the 99, rather than the nine who need no repentance. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, we need to bust our holy huddles. Yes, we have small groups, and we need to keep having small groups. We need to keep growing because, again, you've got to understand this is not a dichotomy. It's not either or. It's both and. It's information and transformation. It's deep study, and it's being sent. The reason that we have small groups is so that we can grow, so that we can then send out to bring them back into our small group so that they can grow. The reason that we are discipled is so that as we are discipled, we turn and we begin to begin to tell others about what it is that we're following, who it is that we're following. That's what a disciple is. It's one who is following after another, and we need to bring others into that. It is about the one. Jesus goes on, though. And just like he didn't really let up for a breath of air for questions, he goes straight into the next story. The third story in this, in this string of parables is one that many of us already have heard before. It's about the parable of the lost son or the prodigal. And Jesus begins to tell the story about a man who was fairly well off. And he had two sons, older son, younger son. The younger son comes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I'm, I'm kind of done. I, I want to go do my thing. And here's what I need. I want you to give me what is my portion coming. Once again, for the Pharisees, this would have set them off because, number one, you don't have the second son who dictates. It's the first son. And no right-respecting son would say that to his father to begin with. But then the father says, okay, and gives the second son, the younger one, his portion of the uh, inheritance. Uh, Jesus in the story says that that younger son went to a far-off country. And when he was in this far-off country, he did what a lot of young, immature people do that get a lot of money real quick. He's living high. He's high rolling. He is partying. He's got friends around. I mean, he's got new, new cloaks and new tunics on. I mean, while the party's happening, everyone's there. But Jesus says the story in the story that a famine comes to the land. And when the famine comes to the land, all the friends leave. 
He runs out of money. He has no food. In fact, what he has to do is, is he has to then turn and hire himself out. He has to hire himself out. Jesus throws another curve into this story for the Pharisees because this Jewish boy goes and hires himself out to a local pig farmer. And he's working in the pork farm, working with the unclean. The scripture says, Jesus in the story says, he's eating the pods that would be fed to the pigs. One day he comes to his senses. He wakes up and the spirit of God must have woken him up and he said, wait a minute, what is going on? Even my dad's servants have food to eat and a place to sleep. I have nothing. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go home. And when I go home, I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to tell him, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Not even worthy to be your son. Would, I want you to hire me in. In fact, I just want to work. You don't even have to hire me. I want to, I'm going to go in. I want to work. At least I'll have food. So he gets up and he takes off. And the scripture says that the father, the dad in the story, had been watching, scanning the horizon. And as he saw the sun, folks, I want you to hear this. I told you we forget oftentimes. And I want you to hear, today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have forgotten that when you were in a far country, far from Jesus, the Father was looking and scanning and he was looking for you. And he saw you and he called you home. Jesus says that when, he, when the Father saw him, he got up and he began to run to the son, even when he was at a distance. This no respecting good Jewish person, man would ever do that. He would not run, he would walk. Not only would he, not walk, would he walk, but he would never run to a son that had been far away and disobedient. And it said that he ran. When he got there, he hugged him, he kissed him, put his arms around him. Look with me in verse 21, what he says here. Verse 21 says, the son begins to speak. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This dad, when they embrace, the son says, Father, forgive me. And he pours, he is pouring himself on the father's mercy. Pouring himself. And I want you to notice in verse 22, here's the unique thing. Verse 22, the dad never speaks to the son. You know what he does? He turns to the servant. And even though he spoke to the servant, he clearly communicated to the son. He said, go get the best robe. Go get a ring. I want you to go and I want you to get shoes and put them on. He says, listen, go get that fattened calf, the one that we've had set up. Because the, for the marriage, the fattened calf for when the, we have the wedding, we kill it, we have the big party. He said, you go get it. 
because the one that was lost has been found. The one that was dead is alive. And folks, we often forget that we were once dead in our sin and transgressions, but we are alive today because of Jesus. And I want you to hear this. Even though the older son had stayed, it wasn't about the one that had stayed. It was about the one that was lost and is now found. You see, oftentimes the things that are lost become the focus of attention rather than the things that are found. And I've had to confess this week that God, I've been way too focused in my own life on those things that are found rather than on the things that were lost. And God, would you forgive me? Maybe you found yourself in that position also. We moved here, my family moved here in July, June of 2002. Uh, when we moved, I'm trying to, my kids, Jordan was, Jordan was seven, headed to eight, Peyton, my oldest son, was uh, five, headed to six, and Evan was two, headed to three. That's what it was. Uh, it seems like uh, it was a lifetime ago almost. Uh, we had not been here long, and we are kind of explorer types. We like to get out and see things. So in July, uh, the very next month, the fourth, if I'm remembering correctly, fell in the middle of the week. We got a day off before July 4th, got 4th, and then the weekend. And so Amy and I said, well, why don't we go to Chattanooga? We've never been there. We don't know anything about this place. Let's go to Chattanooga. So we, we load up, and we head off to Chattanooga, and we did it all. I mean, we did the incline railway back down. We went to the Chattanooga Choo Choo. We did the Chattanooga Choo Choo. We went to the lookout game. We sat up on the hill and ate ice cream watching baseball. We ended up going, we didn't only see Rock City, we saw all of it, bought the birdhouse and brought it home for the birds. We did fat man squeeze. I mean, we did all, I mean, we, we did it all. Had a blast. Someone had told us, you want to go to the Tennessee Aquarium, the big aquarium there in Chattanooga. So we, we're going to go to the, to the aquarium. They told us about there's this like uh, man-made river area outside that kind of winds its way down to the Tennessee River. And they said, you want to make sure and take, the, take your kids' swimsuits uh, so they can play in it. Well, we got there when it opened, and you heard the ages of my kids. They were seven, five, three, two, headed to three. And uh, so we got there at 10, and we buzzed through that entire thing in about two, two and a half hours. You can imagine having those kind of kids. I mean, it was, it was quick. Uh, turtles, ooh, look, there's turtles, ooh, there's sharks. There's, I mean, it just kind of, we were all over the place. We were worn out in about two, two and a half hours. So we go outside. Let's just go outside. We'll let the kids play. It was 4th of July hot. I mean, it was burning up. We walk out of those doors, and there, there must have been like a million people at this little man-made little extreme water thing. Uh, Amy and I are trying to figure out where are we going to uh, like park, sit down so that we can play. We decided we're going we're gonna, to like divide and conquer. I got a kid. She got a kid. We went on, and we started looking. It wasn't long before someone started waving. It was a Amy or me. I, we, I, that part is a little fuzzy to me. 
So we met up at the area where we're about to play, going to get out, sit down. We start unpacking all this stuff that we had taken because, you know, when you have a kid with a stroller, you move. And so we unpacked all that stuff. And the next thing I realized is that I had Jordan. She had Evan. Nobody had Peyton. And so, I mean, even as I'm telling this right now, my heart kind of is beating a little fast here. And so nobody had Peyton. And the most awful yelling and screaming ensued. And it wasn't Amy. It was me. I'm Peyton. Where are you, Peyton? Hey! I'm, I'm walking, you know, and it was that fast little short steps, you know. You're just back and forth. Now, I didn't want to get too far. What do I do? Uh, and here's what the people around me were doing. <laughs> Nobody would help. Nobody would get up. So I'm yelling. I'm screaming. Amy, I said, Amy, you stay here. I don't want to lose the rest of us. Just don't move, all right? Um, Let me tell you something real quick. I want a little interlude right here. Let me tell you something that never happened in the course of that. In the course of that, I never stopped and went, I got two other kids. What's it matter? (laughs) No, because the focus was on the one the one that was lost. And all of my attention at that moment was to find the one so that my family could be complete again. And I continued to walk, and lo and behold, I followed that river, that little man-made. We've not been back to Chattanooga. I want you to know that. (laughs) We got down there, and I I followed it down. Chattanooga's probably really nice if you're from Chattanooga. But we got down, down there, and Peyton was almost to the Tennessee River. He had no clue. I mean, Peyton loves bugs and science, and he's just checking things out. He was happy. I saw him. I ran to him. I grabbed him. I got down low. I was crying. We were laughing. Do you not understand? I mean, we, he was trying to tell me. I stood up, and I wove that tail out. And then I had to repent. (laughs) And then we celebrated the lost son being found. (laughs) Folks, I don't know about you, but many times we can get so about what God is. And listen, life change is happening. And isn't that great? Isn't it great when you see your life changing because of what the Spirit has done? And you are just eating and devouring the Word. But I want you to hear this. The reason that we eat and devour the word and our life goes through great transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, is so that we can tell others who do not experience that yet. That's the reason. And today, while I'm sitting here talking to you, the Spirit has begun to reveal to some of you who that one is for you. Listen, LifePoint is making a difference around the world. We talk all the time around here about we're going to change the world. Do you know how we change the world? By reaching the one, the one who is far from God. 
what I'm not asking you to do today. And I think part of this is why I got a little tense and a little struggles with evangelism is that I think about mass evangelism, people's hair being just right and the suit and they look, listen, we're not asking that. You know what I'm asking you to do? The 99s are important, but I'm asking you to focus on the one that you live next door to. I'm asking you to focus on the one you sit across the cube from. I'm asking you to focus on the one that God's already intersected your life with and that you would trust the spirit when he says speak and that you would open your mouth. You don't have to know a hundred verses. You do need to know some. They don't have to all be memorized. You have to be able to talk about how Jesus changed your life. How are we going to change the world? By reaching the one. Today, in this room right now, there are some of you, you're going, I'm that one. And in just a moment, after I pray, I'm going to ask you to come back to the next steps area. It's out the doors and to the right. Pat's there. I'll be there. We have others. We want to talk with you. You're going, I... Something that's been talked about today, I just need to talk to somebody about that. We, we want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. Some of you in here today, you have trusted Jesus. He has changed. You're now one of the 99, and I want you to hear this. When you focus about the one, it's about the one, and you begin to share with that person about how Christ can change their lives. When they surrender their life, the scripture says this, there is more rejoicing in heaven. There'll be an epic party because they repented and turned to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for the privilege of being called your children. And Father, I do pray that you would forgive us when we turn inward and make it all about us. We do thank you for the transformation that is happening in our lives. We thank you for the change, the lives that are being changed because of the power of the gospel being preached here. We thank you for Romans and how we are learning so much. The information that you are giving us, that we're seeing. And now, God, would you, out of that transformed life, would you make us obedient to be as we're being sent? We love you, God. We magnify you. Jesus, we proclaim that you are the one, the only true king. God, you are good to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do in this room today. That you would draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself. That you would convict us where we need to be convicted. That you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. May today, the way we respond to you with our tithes, with our offerings, with our worship, with our surrender and submission, may it honor you today. We have attempted to lift you high. Now will you draw all men unto yourself? For it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things.